and we are appreciative of you being here with us. I know that we have some visitors here, and we are very thankful for that. We invite you to come back and be with us at any opportunity that you have. It looks like the auditorium is full from here, and uh, that is very, very encouraging. I'm looking around this morning, and I feel so very blessed with this nice facility. Uh, the ramp that is over here looks so good, and it is uh, well built, and I appreciate Michael Tripp for doing that. You know, I think about the amazing amount of work that has gone on in this building in the last several days, and I think about Nehemiah chapter 4. The Bible says they built the wall in 52 days. The Bible says, for the people had a mind to work. And we had a couple of lessons on Nehemiah just a few weeks ago and how everyone pulled together and they stood side by side and they worked and they built the wall. And that is what has taken place here in the last several days. I have been able to do uh, little to no physical work, but I've been up here and I've been taking pictures and trying to document it. And it has been so very, very encouraging to me and on behalf of the elders, we would like to thank everyone for what you've done. I think we've got such a great body of Christians here together. We have a group of people that love each other. We've got a group of people that are serious about the truth and the gospel. And we've got a group of people who truly do have a mind to work. And so we've worked on the building, but more importantly, we want to work now on the, um, the souls in this community. Uh, it looks like we might have someone trying to get in the door back there. So, all right, we want to let them in. Come on in. So, um, we want to invite you back tonight at six o'clock. We're going to continue our worship together. And I'm sorry, five o'clock. We are changing. Make a note of that. We are going to be meeting at five o'clock now. And so if you show up at six o'clock, you will miss the services this evening. Josh is out of town. Josh Kennedy is our regular preacher. And uh, he is out of town in Memphis at Foundations this week. And so he was very bummed out that he did not get to preach the first service in the new building. But I was elated when I found out I was going to get to preach. I was planning on doing questions and answers today, but Larry called me yesterday and he suggested uh, in our very first service, maybe it would be more appropriate to have a more uh, traditional type of sermon. And so I decided to preach something more evangelistic today. One other thing that just crossed my mind, after the service today, we are going to try to get a picture of the congregation together. And so if you would be willing to linger around for just a few minutes and give us an opportunity to do that and kind of a document a piece of history, that would be fantastic. And if you haven't toured the building yet, we would encourage you to do that. Uh, the Lord has really blessed us with the opportunity to be here. And so now we look at this community around us and we see souls around us. And the next thing we want to do is to get busy evangelizing. Now, with that in mind, there is an idea that many folks have in the world today, and that is there are two things that you should never talk about. One is politics, and the other is religion. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I've heard that many times in my life. 
We might be better off if we talked about more things related to politics, but the one thing I know for sure is if you're a Christian, you're going to have to talk about matters religious because part of being a faithful Christian is to teach others about Christ. And how are you going to do that if you don't talk about religion? Part of being a faithful Christian is to make an effort to convert people to Christ. And so you have to talk about religion. And you have to talk not only about the things that we agree upon, you're going to have to talk about the differences. And dear brethren, I wonder how many of us possibly go through our entire lives never encountering another person about their responsibility to the Word of God. You know, sometimes as a gospel preacher, I, like other gospel preachers, will have brethren come to me, and they'll say something like this. They'll bring one of their religious friends, and they will say, uh, Brother Blackwell, would you tell my friend what we believe? Now, there are several implications to that. First, here is an individual who has a friend, and they want their friend to know what they believe, and that's commendable. Secondly, here is a person who has a friend and they want them to know about their faith and they need some help. And that's commendable when we need help. And we ought to be willing and we ought to always be glad to give assistance to another person if we can possibly do that. But there is a third implication to this that's not necessarily so good. And that is, here is a person who is not able to tell another person what he or she believes. Now, if the person is a new convert, if they are young in the faith, maybe it's a person who is older in the faith, but they are just now realizing, I haven't been what I ought to be, and they're trying to get it together. And under those circumstances, this is okay. Brethren, please don't misunderstand me. I am always glad to help in teaching others, just like we all ought to be, so don't get the impression otherwise. But I want to suggest to you that when a Christian has to say to someone else, tell them what we believe, then there of necessity is a need for increased knowledge. We're going to study today from 1 Peter chapter 3, particularly verse 15, 1 Peter 3, 15. If you want to open your Bibles, that is going to be our text for today. And the sermon is entitled, Be Ready Always to Give an Answer. And it comes straight out of this verse. And so we're going to begin and we're going to read it together. 1 Peter 3, 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, this is a well-known passage. It's a frequently quoted passage. And you might say, Don, we have heard that passage many times before. But I'm hoping we're going to examine it today, maybe in greater detail than you have before. I have broken this passage into six points. Six points out of this one verse. They are sanctification, preparation, explanation, every nation, salvation, and consideration. I have worked hard to start every point with an Asian, and I think they fit. Sometimes preachers force things together, but I think this fit. I heard a story about a little boy. He was a preacher's son. 
And one Sunday, his dad preached a sermon on justification and sanctification and all the other Asians. And then the little boy went to Sunday school, and his teacher said, Do any of you know what procrastination is? And the little boy was quick, and he raised his hand, and he said, I'm not sure what it means, but I know our church believes in it. <laughs> um, well, he might have been saying more than he realized there, but... I strained, I tried to end all of these in Asian, and I hope that they fit appropriately. Here's our first point. It is sanctification. Now, I want you to notice, he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. At least that's the way we quote it. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. But I want you to notice, that's not the way it starts. It doesn't start with sanctify. It starts with the word but. But sanctify. Now that tells us two things. Number one, it tells us the thought in this verse is tied to the previous thought. And number two, it tells us it's in contrast to the previous thought. And so we've got to look at the previous thought. The previous thought is talking about enemies of the truth. Look at verse 13. He says, And who is he that will harm you? If you be followers of that which is good, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now notice that. Harm you, suffer, afraid, troubled. What is he saying? Brethren, he is talking about the fact that as Christians, we might look at the people around us and we might be afraid of them. And we might not be willing to stand like we ought to stand. A Christian might be intimidated. He might be afraid of persecution. He might be afraid of harm in some way, whether it be physically, whether it be verbally, whether it be economically, whether it be my job. And it might cause me to forsake my duties as a Christian. And so this is what he says, be not afraid, don't be troubled, but. Now there's our word, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. He's telling us how not to be afraid. He's telling us how not to be fearful. How do you overcome these things? And the answer is by sanctifying the Lord God in your heart. Now what does that mean? It's a good answer, but what in the world does that mean? Sanctify is from the Greek word hagiazo. That word means to set something apart. Oftentimes we talk about the fact that Christians are people who are set apart. We are God's chosen people. We are holy people. We are sanctified people. But this isn't talking about setting Christians apart. This is talking about setting God apart. Don't be afraid, but sanctify God in your heart. What does that mean? He is telling us we've got to set God apart. That is, we've got to look at God the right way. We've got to view God the right way. In the face of opposition, if the child of God will have a proper view of our Lord, it will help us overcome fear. Now, I want to look at Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is about to send out His disciples on what we call the limited commission. And they're going to face some rough things. And so he gives them three pieces of advice to help them not be fearful. And I think they will help us not to be fearful. When he sends his disciples out, 
there were some things that might cause them to want to recoil from their duty. It might make them want to not preach. And so he tells them three things. Here's the first one. Matthew 10, 26, Jesus says, Fear them not, for nothing is covered that shall not be revealed, and there is nothing hidden that shall not be made known. Now what's he saying? He's saying you need to view God as almighty. You don't be afraid. You take heart because their evil deeds, God sees them. There's nothing that's going to be unnoticed. The first thing I need to do to sanctify God in my heart is I need to set Him apart in my mind as Almighty. There's nothing that is done that He doesn't see and is not aware of. Here's the second thing. Matthew 10, 28, two verses later, He says to them, Fear not. Once again, he says, fear not. That's what we're talking about, how to not be afraid. Fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both the body and soul in hell. In other words, when you become afraid of men, and it causes you to maybe not perform your duties as a Christian, he says, remember this, God is your judge. Men might hurt your body, but God has your soul in His hands. You remember on the day of judgment, you're going to stand before God and He has your soul. Number one, I'm going to sanctify Him as Almighty. Number two, I'm going to set Him apart in my mind as the judge. Here's the third thing. Three verses later, in Matthew 10, 29, He says to them, Fear not, don't be afraid, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them doesn't fall to the ground without your father knowing, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than all of these. What is his point? He says, God knows the number of hairs on your head, so don't be afraid. Why should you not be afraid? Because God knows how much hair you have on your head. Here's his point. God is your protector. He knows the very details of what's going on in your life. Here's what he is saying. I need to have a proper view that God will care for me and it will help me overcome fear. Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? I remember that David said in the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Psalm 56 and verse 4, David said, Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. And so what that means, when my knees are trembling, and I'm afraid, and it might stop me from doing what's right, I need to sanctify God in my heart. That is, I need to set Him aside as the protector, as the judge, and as Almighty. Alright, here is the second point. That is preparation, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. Preparation. Now, preparation involves two things. It involves being willing and it involves being able. Some people are willing, but they're not able, and some people are able, but they're not willing. So, when I'm thinking about being prepared, I need to ask myself, am I prepared to obey this passage? First, if there's something in my life that is making me afraid, then I need to go back and do the first thing. I need to sanctify God in my heart. 
Maybe that's why I'm not afraid. We already got the answer to that one. Secondly, am I serious enough about my responsibility toward God and toward my fellow man to discharge my responsibility here? Am I persuaded? Now listen to this. Am I persuaded of the fact that if I don't teach other people, I'll lose my own soul? You ever think about that? Ezekiel 33 and verse 8, Ezekiel was told, If you do not warn the wicked from his evil way, the wicked man will die in his sin. But his blood will I require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his wicked way, and he does not turn from it, he'll die in his sin, but you've delivered your own soul. What's the point? If you don't warn him, he's going to die, but you're going to be held accountable. If you do warn him and he doesn't turn, he's still going to die, but at least you've taken care of yourself. You will be clear. Do I really love the souls of the men who are around me, the people who are around me? You know, I think sometimes my mind is boggled at Romans 9 and verse 3 where Paul said, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul said, I could be a curse from Christ for the sake of the souls of my brethren. Sometimes I won't walk across the road. Think about how serious that is. All right, number one, am I too afraid to do this? Am I not prepared because I'm afraid? Number two, maybe I'm not serious about the souls of other people. And then number three, am I knowledgeable enough? Am I prepared in the sense that I am knowledgeable enough to obey this? You know, every member of the Church of Christ ought to be able to tell another person why it is that he's going to go to heaven. And if he can't, Something's wrong with that. Now, notice the word always. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always. Sometimes in life, it is not convenient to talk to people about the gospel. But you know, something has impressed me over the years when I've studied the gospel accounts and the life of Jesus. Even when he's tired, even when he's hungry, he took time for people. Listen to this. This is Mark chapter 6 and verse 31. Jesus said to his disciples, Come yourselves apart into a deserted place, and let's rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not have leisure so much as even to eat. And they departed into a deserted place by a ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and they ran afoot uh, to out of all the cities, and they outwent him, and they came together unto the other place. What happened is this. Jesus said, let's get in the boat, and they're crossing the sea to the other side to get away and have some peace and to, to rest and to have time to eat. And what happens is the people start running around the body of water so that they can meet them on the other side. Listen to verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw so many people, and he was moved with compassion toward them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He's tired. He hasn't eaten. He said to his apostles, we got to get a break. And they get there, and there are people everywhere hungry for the Word. And he said, i got to teach these people. And the Bible says he didn't just answer a couple of questions. He taught them many things. I wonder how many opportunities we pass up because it's not convenient. Now, a word of caution. The word always doesn't mean you have to answer every question. Jesus didn't answer every question. 
You know, Matthew 21, the Jewish leaders came to Jesus demanding to know, by what authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, I've got a question for you. Was John the Baptist, was his baptism from heaven or was it from men? And they lied and they said, oh, we, we can't tell. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to answer your question. You see, you don't have to answer every question. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 23, foolish and unlearned questions avoid. Sometimes I've heard people say, there's no such thing as a foolish question. Yeah, there is. The Lord said, avoid foolish questions. Matthew 7 and verse 6, Jesus said, give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they uh, trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. That is, sometimes you, you just don't need to answer. Sometimes you don't need to put it out there. Solomon said, Proverbs 26 verse 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly. You remember why? Lest you be likened to him. All right. This is not a commandment to answer every question. All right. Here is the third thing, an explanation. Be Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer. The word answer here is from the Greek word apologia. What does that sound like? Sounds kind of like the word apology, doesn't it? In fact, it's where we get the English word apology. When we think about making an apology, we think about saying, I'm sorry about that. I apologize for that. And occasionally, members of the church might bring visitors with them to the services, and their friends will be offended by something they hear. And this brother or sister will make apology. They'll say, I'm sorry about that. This is not that word. Our Lord never apologized for the truth. You know, in John chapter 6, the Bible says that the people were offended at Jesus' message. In fact, the text says, they said, this is a hard saying. Literally, it means this was an objectionable saying. They were offended when they heard it. Jesus did not apologize. He did not change His message. This word means to make a defense. When you think about Christian apologetics, it is the uh, study of making a defense for the gospel. Now, if you bring a friend with you and they hear something that's contrary to their beliefs and it upsets them, and you say, well, let me show you. In Acts chapter 2, it says this. And then over here in Acts chapter 10, it says this. That's this word, to make a defense. You are doing the apologia. You are set to defend the gospel. This word apologia occurs in Acts 22 and verse 1 uh, when it's talking about Paul. And he says, men and brethren, fathers, hear the defense that I make for the gospel. That's this word. And so every Christian should be able to make a defense for the hope that's in him. This is not based on emotions. This is based on evidence. Brother Thomas Warren, years ago, great, great gospel preacher, a mind just like few that we've ever had in the brotherhood. Brother Thomas Warren had a Ph.D., and he had gone through some denominational schools and seminaries. And in one of his courses of study, he told the story that he studied under a Greek denominational professor. And he said that one day he went into this professor's office and he questioned him about Mark 16, 16. He said to him, 
Mark 16, 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, sir, you are a Greek scholar. You know the construction of this Greek sentence requires that both belief and baptism are required before saved can be the result. How do you explain that in light of you teaching salvation before baptism? And he said that that professor, that professor stood up and he put his hand on his heart and he said something like this. I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart and I believe that he saved me. Brethren, that's not our task. My task is not to tell you what I believe. My task is not to tell you how I feel or what I think or anything that I can't support from the Scripture. This is based on going to the Bible and having evidence and presenting proofs and presenting arguments. Here's the next one. Every nation. He said, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you. Literally, this means to everyone who asks you. Acts 10.35 says, But in every nation, he that fears God and worketh righteousness is accepted to him. Jesus said the gospel is for all nations. Matthew 28.19. He said it's for every creature. Mark 16.15. But you know, sometimes we get selective, don't we? Sometimes we only want to take the gospel to people that we're comfortable with. Sometimes white people only want to take the gospel to white people. Sometimes black people only want to take the gospel to black people. Sometimes rich people only want to take the gospel to rich people. You know, in James chapter 2, James describes a situation like this. James describes a situation where a rich man and a poor man come into the congregation and the brethren say to the rich man, come over here, take, take this good seat. And then to the poor man they say, go, go sit over here at my footstool. And this is what James says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons, James 2.1. That is, he says, you can't treat people like that. God doesn't see skin color. God doesn't see economic status. God sees souls. And I'm persuaded that otherwise good men are going to lose their souls on the day of judgment because of this issue. Peter says, be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you. All right, here's the next one. It is the word salvation. Be ready, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Now, pay attention to this. The child of God is not required to be able to answer every false doctrine. Sometimes this verse is used this way. Frequently, Christians are told, you know, whatever people throw at you, you've got to be ready to answer because we're to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you. That's not what he says. He says we need to be able to defend our hope. Give an answer for the hope that is in you. What is the hope he's talking about? Acts 24, 15 talks about the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Colossians 1, 5 talks about the hope that's laid up for us in heaven. Colossians 1, 27, the hope of glory. Titus 3, 7, the hope of eternal life. All of these things are references to the eternal life we're going to have in heaven. In other words, 
a Christian ought to be able to tell somebody else why it is that I'm going to go to heaven. In other words, I should be able to explain my salvation. Every child of God ought to be able to do that. Now certainly as false doctrines go, I try to study those things. I try to prepare myself because that will help me to tell other people and convince other people. But I don't have to be able to answer every question and it's okay to say, I don't know. All right, here is the last point. Consideration. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Consideration. This point speaks to the manner in which we should make a defense. With meekness. The word meekness is from the Greek word pautes. Strong's defines this word like this. Mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, and meekness. I'm going to answer with a mild, gentle disposition. Meekness and fear. Fear is from the word phobos. It means fear, dread, or terror. I believe the fear he's talking about here is not fear of the other person. This is a fear, a reverence toward God. And so what he's saying is this. When you give an answer to people, you need to have gentleness and kindness toward the person that you're answering, and you also need to have a fear of God in your mind. You see, you're going to answer it the right way if you have those two things. Those two factors will guide your demeanor when you make a defense. Experience has taught every seasoned Christian why we have this admonition. Because sometimes I am so ready. Sometimes I am so prepared. Sometimes I am so fired up to answer somebody that I come out with both barrels shooting. You know what I mean by that? You know, there are appropriate ways to say things, and there are inappropriate ways to say things. I read about a man who ran a shoe store, and he was interviewing a young boy to work in a shoe store. And so he asked the boy this. He said, what would you say if a woman was buying shoes and she asked you, do you think one of my feet is bigger than the other? What would you say? And the boy said, I would reply, no, I think one of your feet is smaller than the other. Well, you see, he's saying the same thing, but one's a little more palatable. A preacher, I heard a preacher tell one time about a friend who was studying the gospel with a lady who was a member of a denomination. And in the course of the study, it clicked with the lady. And she came to the realization and she said, if this is right, then that means that my mama was lost. And that man replied, she's burning in hell right now. Was that with meekness and gentleness of spirit? Jesus told his disciples, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Matthew 10, 16. Do you think that man practiced that? Do you think he showed consideration? Do you think that was done with meekness and fear? Sometimes we let our emotions get the better of us when we're studying with someone and we let it become a personal thing. And it gets to the point where I'm going to show you, you're not going to get the best of me. I'm going to one-up this person. 
Brethren, this admonition will help us keep our emotions in check if we will approach the person with meekness, gentleness of character, and fear of God in heaven. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Sanctification. Be ready always. Preparation. To give an answer. Explanation. To every man who asks you, every nation, a reason of the hope that's in you, your salvation, with meekness and fear. That is consideration. This morning, I want to tell you a reason for the hope that's in me. I believe that heaven is going to be my home one day, not because of a feeling in my heart, not because of a warm sensation moving inside of me or any other subjective thing. I know that heaven's going to be my home one day because I have done what the Lord has told me to do to accept His grace and to obey the gospel. The Bible teaches to become a child of God. I've got to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Now, maybe this morning, you don't know what that means. Maybe you want us to open the Bible and make a defense, give you book, chapter, and verse, and we would be delighted to do that. We'd be happy to sit down and have a study with you. We'll even do it today because it's important. Maybe this morning, you know what you need to do, and you're ready to obey the gospel. If that is the case, you've got an opportunity to come forward to make your confession, to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins and to be added to the body of Christ, and we would be delighted to do that. We have a baptistry now, and it has water in it. Maybe you're here today as a Christian, but maybe you haven't been living right. Maybe you haven't been walking in the light. Maybe today you're ready to make a change and to get your life right with God. This morning, we would be delighted to go to God and to pray with you and for you. This morning, if you need to obey the gospel, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing this invitation song.